Acts 27 Part 1 in the sermon series, Acts of the Holy Spirit, spoken by Pastor Douglas Cho. What does the future look like for you? What's the future look like? Do you have a five-year plan? Do you have a 10-year plan? Right? Do you think about retirement today? Do you save for retirement? Do you have a retirement plan? Do you even know what retirement looks like? What do you want to accomplish later on in life? What are your dreams, your goals? Have you done them? When will you do them? These are the questions that we're faced when we think about our future. These are the questions that we're faced with. Even as pastors, um, we get things like, how long do you think you're going to be serving at Metro? When do you think you're going to be going? Where do you think you'll be going? What do you think you'll be doing? And the first thing that my mind jumps to is, why do you want me to leave so badly? (laughs) Oh, but we think about the future so much so that we think about other people's futures. Right? We think about our children's futures and their children's futures, and then we make plans for their futures. My dad has a plan for my unborn children. He has a plan. I don't have a plan for my unborn children, and he gets upset at me for not having a plan for my unborn children. He tells me I'm not being responsible. I haven't met them yet. These unborn children. But we have all the plans for all the people. In fact, there are some of you in this room, you make plans for a living. Financial planners, travel planners, wedding planners, party planners, plan, 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 plan. We have all the plans for all the things. But what happens when plans don't go according to what we feel as they should? What happens when plans fall apart? Chaos. Confusion, regret. A lot of times, you know, there's a lot of disappointment in our spirits because we feel as though our lives are not panning out to what they should be. You know, when I do counseling, I I get a lot of people that come to me and they say, Doug, I didn't think I'd be here. I don't want to be here. I feel stuck. Why do I feel like I'm behind? That was not according to plan. (laughs) Never did I imagine. And it's painful. It is painful. Because it's painful to live in a place of disappointment. Right? When we're trying to live into God's calling and what he's doing in our lives and the things that are being set before us don't really live up to or fulfill our expectations. It's it's. Easy to get disappointed. So how then can we possibly live in faith during these times, these moments? In today's text, the Apostle Paul is going to show us a seasoned traveler's guide to faith and what it really looks like to have big faith when plans fall apart. I'm reading from Acts chapter 27. This is verses 1 to 26. When it was decided that we would sail for Italy, Paul and some other prisoners were handed over to a centurion named Julius, who belonged to the Imperial Regiment. We boarded a ship from the Adramatium, about to sail for ports along the coast of province of Asia, and we put out to sea. Aristarchus, a Macedonian from Thessalonica, was with us. 
The next day we landed at Sidon, and Julius, in kindness to Paul, allowed him to go to his friends so they might provide for his needs. From there we put out to sea again and passed to the Lee of Cyprus because the winds were against us. When we had sailed across the open sea off the coast of Sicilia and Pamphylia, we landed at Myra in Lycia. There the centurion found an Alexandrian ship sailing for Italy and put us on board. We made slow headway for many days and had difficulty arriving off Nidus. When the wind did not allow us to hold our course, we sailed to the Lee of Crete opposite Salmone. We moved along the coast with difficulty and came to a place called Fair Havens near the town of Lycia. Much time had been lost and sailing had already become dangerous because by now it was after the day of atonement. So Paul warned them, men, I can see that our voyage is going to be disastrous and bring great loss to ship and cargo and to our lives also. But the centurion, instead of listening to what Paul said, followed the advice of the pilot and of the owner of the ship. Since the harbor was unsuitable to winter in, the majority decided that we should sail on, hoping to reach Phoenix and winter there. This was a harbor in Crete, facing both southwest and northwest. When a gentle south wind began to blow, they saw their opportunity, so they weighed anchor and sailed along the shore of Crete. Before long, a wind of hurricane force, called the Northeaster, swept down from the island. The ship was caught by the storm and could not head into the wind, so we gave way to it and were driven along. As we passed to the lee of a small island called Cauda, we were hardly able to make the lifeboat secure, so the men hoisted to the board. Then they passed ropes under the ship itself to hold it together. Because they were afraid they would run aground on the sandbars of Syrtis, they lowered the sea anchor and let the ship be driven along. We took such a violent battering from the storm that the next day they began to throw the cargo overboard. On the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. When neither sun nor stars appeared for many days and the storm continued raging, we finally gave up all hope of being saved. After they had gone a long time without food, Paul stood up before them and said, Men, you should have taken my advice not to sail from Crete. Then you would have spared yourselves this damage and loss. But now I urge you to keep up your courage because not one of you will be lost. Only the ship will be destroyed. Last night, an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I serve stood beside me and said, do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand trial before Caesar and God has graciously given you the lives of all who sail with you. So keep up your courage, men, for I have faith in God that it will happen just as he told me. Nevertheless, we must run aground on some island. The first step in the traveler's guide to faith is to know your destination and set your eyes on it. The first step is to know your destination and set your eyes on it. See, throughout Paul's journey, there has been this divine call to him from God to go to Rome. Jesus explicitly says it to him, Paul, you must go to Rome. You must testify in Rome. Be there, go there. And so Paul is so bold in making sure he gets there. 
In actuality, he, he leverages his Roman citizenship during all these accusations, all these trials, interrogations that the, the leadership is having for him. He testifies over and over again. And finally, he says, I appeal to Caesar. In that, it grants him passage to go to Rome. We actually see in the last verses of chapter 26, when Paul testifies before King Agrippa, the king rose, this is King Agrippa, and with him, the governor and Bernice and those sitting with him. After they left the room, they began saying to one another, this man is not doing anything that deserves death or imprisonment. Agrippa said to Festus, this man could have been set free if he had not appealed to Caesar. Paul chooses chains in order to enter into his calling here. Right? He could have been a free man, but he knows God is calling him. And we have to understand here that the destination is not Rome in itself. Right? Yes, Rome is where God is calling him too, but the destination is he who calls. The destination is God. I got to tell you, we're all headed to glory. No matter what you accomplish on this life, in this life, no matter big or small, guess what happens? You're going to die. We're going to die. That's what happens. But whether you not, you follow into, you go into, you head into, you press into what God is calling you to. That's your decision. God is calling you. Are you going to him? And if we realize and if we acknowledge that God is calling us, God is calling Paul, not to a place, but really to himself. And we see that Paul is doing all he can to pursue, pursue, pursue the one he loves. We have to take an itinerary of our lives. What are the things that God is calling us to? What are they? Do we know them? Do we look for them? Are the things that you are actively doing in your life right now, the, the way that you invest your time, do they draw you closer to those things? Do you push in to those things? Are you closer to your heavenly father for them? Or is your life of faith on the back burner? See, little tip here is that in order to enter into God's calling for your life, you must pursue intimacy with him. We see it all throughout Acts. Paul is praying. Paul is worshiping, even in prison. Paul is leaving space and time for him to hear from the Lord. Paul is sacrificing his comfort in order to enter into this. You learn and understand God's heart for you the more you press into intimacy. That is why we have to acknowledge 90 minutes a week is not enough. Especially, especially if you profess that God is the most powerful, most profound being in your life. How can 90 minutes on a Sunday be enough? It doesn't make sense. I want to be clear here. We will have to sacrifice where we may want to go in order to go to where God is calling us. We may have to sacrifice where we want to go 
in order to go to where God is calling us. And this is not to guarantee that God is going to draw you to somewhere you completely hate. It's just, that's just the nature of things. So if we acknowledge all that, that God is the destination, we must ask, do we even want to be there? Do we want to be with him? God wants it. God wants it. He wants it. You know, scripture tells us God looks towards the day. He looks towards the day when his people of this new covenant, covenant will come together and they will no longer teach their neighbor know the Lord because they will already know him from the least of them to the greatest. God looks forward to that day. And when I read that passage, when I read that text, I can't help but to feel his anticipation for that day where his people will know him and he will be with his people. You must know your destination. The second step in the Traveler's Guide to Faith is to anticipate delays. Anticipate delays. Verse 3 to 8. The next day we landed at Sidon, and Julius, in kindness to Paul, allowed him to go to his friends so they might provide for his needs. From there we put out to sea again and passed to the lee of Cyprus because the winds were against us. When we had, failed, when we had sailed across the open sea off the coast of Sicilia and Pamphylia, we landed at Myra in Lycia. There the centurion found an Alexandrian ship sailing for Italy and put us on board. We made slow headway for many days and had difficulty arriving off Nidus. When the wind did not allow us to hold our course, we sailed to the Lee of Crete opposite Salmone. We moved along the coast with difficulty and came to a place called Fair Havens near the town of Lycia. Paul is finally setting sail for his final destination. You know, weeks have gone by and we've said it over and over again. Jesus is calling Paul to Rome. So Paul is, he's actually going to Rome now. And you would think, you would think that the moment he stepped onto that boat, right, God would close the boat door, a wind would enter into that sail, and they would motorboat their way to Italy. Right? You would think that that's how it would work because God expressed such urgency for him to be there. Ha! You must be new here. Please. That is not how this works. Why? Why were the winds so unfavorable? Why were there so many delays if Jesus expressed so much urgency for him to be there? We can't really say why because we can't really understand what's on God's mind. But... What I do know is that when you are walking into what God is calling you to, it does not mean everything is going to go to plan. It does not mean everything is going to go to plan. In my experience, it's actually more painful than running away. Uh, by the time I was 24, I had spent a couple years trying to be a professional poker player. I attempted to do stand-up comedy in the city, and, but actually, I also had a decent job. Uh, by the time I was 27, I, worked, I was working at HSBC uh, near Bryan Park. I had lived with some of my best friends in the Edgewater Port Imperial area, you know. I served that church, I had great community, I did whatever I wanted. Um, it was a really cozy life. My family didn't complain about me. It was great. And then I received God's call to ministry. Long story short, 
uh, I was serving at a church in Westchester with my best friend. And, you know, there, there was a youth retreat coming up. And I think because of lack of preparation, they asked me to be the youth retreat speaker. And I said, yes. We did it, and one of the kids that we were really pouring into, he decided to give his life to Christ there. It was incredible. And if, do I know if he's continued to live on that path? I'm not sure. But when I witnessed that, in that moment, I experienced a joy I had never felt in my life, higher than anything else. I've had $20,000 in chips pushed to me, but it eclipsed all of that. This joy made me think this one thought. And it was, wow, I could do this for the rest of my life. And then I thought, no, 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 no. And I fought it because I did not want to be a pastor, ever, ever want to be a pastor. And I fought, I fought it so, I fought it for about a year and a half. And I'll tell you, you know, we still did prayer back then. I came up here every week. I was crying. I was like, Peter, I don't want to be a pastor. And Peter said, you're probably going to be a pastor. You know, it was, it was, it was painful. And finally, I came around to it. I enrolled into seminary. I quit my job. I was stepping out into faith. And the reception was mixed. The people who knew me in college, they said, you? Really? You? My sister asked me, are you sure? Are you sure? I, I don't know, are you sure? My mom said she would let me go to seminary because she thought it would fix me. <laughs> My dad told me that I was too naive to make this decision. I was ungrateful, and he knew of better sons. And that was my first year. My first year of school was one of the hardest and loneliest years of my life. And all I had to hold on to during that time was this joy, this, this momentary joy that I remembered, and this idea that God was calling me to something. God was calling me to himself. And in verse 3, we, we read, it says that Paul had met with some friends, right? And they tended to his needs. We can't really assume what those needs were, but I like to think that he needed prayer and encouragement. And that really goes to show that our community is so important. It's so important for us to pray and encourage each other. I wouldn't be standing here if it weren't for Peter and Kevin. Walking in your calling can be lonely and hard. It can be. And that's why I believe that so much of Scripture commands us, fear not, I am with you. Isaiah 41, fear not for I am with you. Be not dismayed for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous hand. Deuteronomy 31, be strong and courageous. Do not fear or be terrified because of them. For it is the Lord your God who goes with you. He will never leave you or forsake you. So why? Why then? If walking in your faith or walking out in faith and walking in your calling is so painful, what, why is it worth it? In short, 
you'll experience the fullness of God's presence. You will experience the fullness of God's presence. If you don't, you won't. And if you think you can, I'm telling you, you can't. Just like how Peter had to step out of the boat in order to walk on water, just like how he had to sink in order for him to experience Jesus pulling him up, you need to step out in faith in order to experience the fullness of God's presence. If you don't, you will always be watching from the boat. You know, it was painful. Doing it was really hard. It's still hard. But I have learned so many things about myself, dark things, bad things, and they've come to light. And I've experienced God's healing and freeing presence in my life. I believe Paul knew this. And that's why he continued to put his life on the line over and over again. Anticipate delays, but also know it does not mean God has abandoned you. The third step in the Traveler's Guide to Faith is to use conventional wisdom. Use your sense. Pastor David says, or calls it, sanctified common sense. This is verse 9 to 12. Much time had been lost, and sailing had already become dangerous because by now it was after the Day of Atonement. So Paul warned them, Men, I can see that our voyage is going to be disastrous and bring great loss to shipping cargo and to our own lives also. But the centurion, instead of listening to what Paul said, followed the advice of the pilot and of the owner of the ship since, on the, since the harbor was unsuitable to winter in. The, the majority decided that we should sail on, hoping to reach Phoenix and winter there. This was a harbor in Crete facing both southwest and northwest. When we read this, it almost sounds like Paul is having a prophetic moment, right? But he's not. He's actually um, just tapping into past experience. His prophetic moment happens later, and he actually corrects himself, because right now he thinks we're all going to die. The, what he's tapping into is his experience as a seasoned traveler. I know that after the Day of Atonement, the seas are not kind to travelers, and we're, we might die. This is not a good idea. All this to say, you have all learned lessons in the past for good reason. You have received great advice from very wise people for good reason. It's to use it. Use that experience in your life. Faith is not about making uninformed, crazy decisions. And although we see here, Paul is risking his life, right? Faith can come off crazy because we see Paul in a lot of precarious situations sometimes, right? We also see that wisdom and faith partner very well together. Be wise about your risks and your choices. And yes, God will be calling you out, but consult the people around you. Pray about these things. Make informed decisions. And yes, walk out in faith. If I could add like a part two to this step, it would be to never choose comfort or convenience over wisdom. The pilot of the ship and the owner of the ship definitely knew what Paul knew. Right? They were probably seasoned travelers as well. They definitely knew. 
but that harbor was unsuitable. That word can be translated into inconvenient. It was inconvenient to be there. They just didn't want to be there. So they took this gamble to get to the next harbor. And in actuality, if you look at a map of their journey, Fairhavens and Phoenix is really close together. It's like 70 kilometers at most. They were not making that much progress in doing this, but they didn't want to be inconvenienced. We love comfort. We love convenience. If you think about all the innovation and all the technology and all the effort we put into making things more convenient, you understand that as people, we just love things that are more convenient. Please do not let this desire hinder or change what your faith walk looks like. Do not let that override wisdom. You never know when storms are coming. The fourth and last step is to trust God. Trust God. Verse 15. The ship was caught by the storm and we could not head into the wind. So we gave way to it and were driven along. As we passed to the lee of a small island called Kata, we were hardly able to make the lifeboat secure. So the men hoisted it aboard. Then they passed ropes under the ship itself to hold it together. Because they were afraid they would run aground on sandbars of Sirtis, they lowered the sea anchor and let the ship be driven along. We took such a violent battering from the storm that the next day they began to throw the cargo overboard. On the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. When neither sun nor stars appeared for many days and the storm continued raging, we finally gave up all hope of being saved." The end of this section of scripture ends with like a really desperate scene here, right? There's this storm that's happening and it's described as violent, right? The, the word there, violently, um, it really actually, its essence is exceedingly violent. It's vehemently violent. It's too violent. This is a crazy storm. So they're throwing over cargo because this storm is raging on. And actually, I don't know what throwing cargo overboard does. I just know it like makes the ship lighter or something. But that's what they're doing. And in verse 20, we see, when neither sun nor stars appeared for many days and the storm continued raging, we finally gave up hope of being saved. If you know, if you understand why this is such a big deal, um, uh, if you watch the movie um, Moana, right? Like they do this thing. Right? With the stars. Right? That's a thing. I don't know if they do this thing, but like it's a real thing. You use the sun and the stars to help you understand your current location. If you take that away, if you take away all the land masses around you, if you've been on a boat, you understand this. Everything looks the same. Everything looks the same. They are lost. They are so lost here. Some of us here today are lost and are giving up hope. I don't know what that might be. Hope that you'll amount to something significant. Hope that you'll find something you're passionate about. Hope that your marriage will come to life. Hope that you'll find someone that will satisfy you. Hope that you won't wake up ashamed every single day. Wow. If that's you, I'm so sorry. But please,
please talk to someone about it. Talk to one of the pastors. Talk to me. We'd love to talk to you. But you are meant, God, when you are lost, satisfy you. You need someone to be there with you. Trust God will fulfill you. And only God can fulfill you. I know that in your marriage, when things just seem like hopeless, and there's no point in doing anything else for it, can you pray? Can you pray and enter into his presence and really believe that he will begin a healing work in your marriage because he loves your marriage. Trust God when you are lost. And this is when big faith comes into play. This is when big faith comes into play because a lot of times when we're lost, what do we pray for? God, show me the way. God, open up something. Open the doors. Please show me. Open my eyes. Help me to see. We pray for clarity, clarity, clarity. When God is asking, will you trust me? Mm. Trust and clarity are like oil and water. Trust the one who leads you. That he will not lead you astray. Verse 21. After they had gone a long time without food, Paul stood up before them and said, men, you should have taken my advice not to sail from Crete. Then you would have spared yourselves this damage and loss. But now I urge you to keep up your courage because not one of you will be lost. Only the ship will be destroyed. Last night, an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I serve stood beside me and said, do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand trial before Caesar, and God has graciously given you the lives of all who sail with you. So keep up your courage, man, for I have faith in God that it will happen just as he told me. Bless you. Nevertheless, we must run aground on some island. Now, Paul has his prophetic moment with an angel. And we need to take note here. He's delivering this prophecy while the, ship is, while the ship is in the storm, right? It's not like they're having this calm, quiet moment that he's like giving them this pep talk. He's saying, guys, we're going to be okay. Like, don't worry, an angel came to me, right? You have to understand, like, it's pretty ridiculous. That opening line there, men, you should have taken my advice not to sail from Crete. What he's doing, he's not really having an I told you so moment. He's establishing his authority over the situation. Because Paul is just like them. He's lost. He's hungry. He's probably seasick. He must be tired. But he is assuming authority over this situation because of his trust in a sovereign God. When you doubt what will happen in your situation. You doubt God's sovereignty over you. And you doubt that he desires good over you. Paul knows this so deeply. He believes that God is sovereign over all things. And because he is his son, he will assume authority even though he is lost on this ship. Verse 22, he says, only the ship will be destroyed. I think that line is ridiculous. Only the ship will be destroyed. Can you imagine? You're like on an airplane, right? And the, the, your airplane's crashing and someone next to you is just like, yeah, buckle up. <laughs> Only the airplane's gonna be destroyed. An angel told me, like, can you imagine? <laughs> it's madness. It's crazy. 
gosh. But maybe, maybe, maybe that's what God wants. Maybe that's what God desires, that only the ship would be destroyed. You see, when we put together perfect plans, it usually means we get to the goal as safely and as smoothly as possible. We get there as safely and as smoothly as possible. And when it comes to our lives, let me tell you, I've made a lot of perfect plans. I've built many ships out of lies, insecurities, bolstered them up with my successes in hope that people would accept me, like me, desire me. All of these things shattered. And yes, it was painful. And yes, I felt lost. But in those moments, God was so clear to me. I love you too much to let you fill this hole of intimacy with things that will never satisfy you. During the journey, God sanctifies you. God sanctifies you. He makes you his own. He makes you more into his child. So you will reach your destination. You will. But God wants you to reach the destination. He does not want a masked version of you to reach the destination. He wants you to get to the destination, not someone who you're pretending to be. God will bring you to him. God is calling you to him. Paul's final comment, nevertheless, we've got to run aground on some island. It's another ridiculous statement. Yeah, we just have to crash, right? That word, that phrase, we've got to, is the same as you must stand trial. That Greek word, it signifies divine necessity. We must. So yes, we're taking a detour, but God is going to use this. There's a divine necessity there. And we'll see later on when they reach Malta, God works, miracles happen. Yes, we will or may experience shipwreck. Not that God is the one who necessarily causes shipwreck, but he will allow them to happen to make room for bigger faith, which leads to greater glory. Amen? Mm. Something, oh Lord, something, something that has always been a topic of conversation between my wife and me is her work. That's my wife right there. Uh, I'm going to brag about her today. She was an orthopedic consultant for medical devices at HSS and Westchester Medical uh, for about eight years. And if you know anything about that, that job, uh, she went into surgeries and she watched orthopedic surgeons do their work. And what she had to do was make sure that the tools were used properly, the surgery went smoothly, they would close up and her job was well done. Right? And she actually made so much more money than I did. She was the breadwinner of our family. And it's something that she took very seriously. She was very concerned with making sure we were comfortable, we were happy, and that she could provide for me. And a lot of her identity went into that. But if you also know about this job, 
you know that it was killing her. It's a very physically taxing job. She was standing 12 hours a day. She was on call every single day of the week. You know how many dates we've canceled because she had to go to work. She was always in high stress, high pressure situations. And for some reason, a lot of high profile surgeons are very abusive people. Her job was her abusive boyfriend. And I watched this job deteriorate this woman every day. And I watched her come home and cry herself to bed. And you know, we'd fight about it. We'd fight all the time. I'd be like, you need to quit. Just quit now. Don't go to work tomorrow. You need to quit. And she'd tell me, because, and this would break my heart, she would say, I can't. I can't quit this job because I can't do anything else except this job. I'm not good at anything else. What else is there for me? And she actually entered into a really dark period where she was lost. Until we began to remember why she got into medicine in the first place. She had gone to Africa a long time ago and God put on her heart a desire and a love to take care of people's physical well-being. And she actually came back home, applied to physician's assistant school, and got accepted. But she took a detour. And to this day, she regrets choosing something that seemed more lucrative than her passion or calling. This past July, my wife quit her job. Her credits expired, so she has to take additional classes. She has to reapply to school because that acceptance letter is no good anymore. But she's walking out to where God is calling her to. Every time I see her and we pay tuition, I can tell she feels like a burden. And she tells me she's scared every single day because she feels like she's messing up our family and that she's gonna hurt me. And you know, we wanna have kids, but how do you have kids with no money? But you are the bravest person I know. You're the bravest person I know. Every day, she has to remember her destination. That God is calling her to something. And it's more than just school or a job. Every day, she has to anticipate hardship. Because studying biochem after 10 years of not studying it is really hard. <laughs> And I, I watch her stay up till like 4 a.m. doing these stupid laps. <laughs> Every day, she has to exercise wisdom. Don't go back to your old job. Don't remember the paycheck. Remember the pain. 
trust your husband. <laughs> I can only say that right now. But every day she struggles to trust God because she was shipwrecked. And she has to learn to believe that those eight years were not for nothing, but that God will use them for his glory. She inspires me to big faith. Will we all do the same? Let's pray together. Right now, let's just go before the Lord. Are you lost? Are you lost? Is there no direction? Is there no hope? Is there no sense of peace? Do you wake up every single day grumbling? Ashamed? Are you lost? You know, our eyesight is so funny. And I just want you to imagine with me, when you're on a boat, you're, or when you're on the beach, and you look at the horizon, it looks like the world stops. Because you can't see any further. And we don't know what's beyond that line. You can't tell. And when you're lost and you look up and you look around you, everything looks the same. There's just nothing around you. Sometimes panic sets in. You know, when you're drowning, your instinct is to reach out and go to the thing that's closest to you. What if nothing looks close to you? What do you do? What can you do? Besides trust in the Lord, know his promises over your life. Know that he is the redeemer of time. You are not too late. You are not too far gone. You are not behind. God will redeem that time. God will redeem this time. Will you trust him with it? That God will restore you over time. That in your struggle, God has been proud of you during this time. What are the things God is calling you to? Because at the end of it, he's calling you to him. He wants you to be with him. Can you go before God right now and just... I don't, I don't care if you need to scream it. Father, I'm looking for you. Where are you calling me to? Show me. Give me trust. Show me your face, Lord. It was never about the destination itself. It was always about the being who was calling you to him.
this is you today, I challenge you right now. When our prayer team comes up, come up for prayer. Let God speak through them to you. I challenge you to get up and to seek him in faith. Step out of that boat and go. Even if you sink, he'll pull you up. Father, would you just cover my brothers and sisters right now, Lord? Fill them with your word, Lord. Would their ears be full of your voice, God? We pray against any voices of accusation and condemnation against them, Lord. Because they are not yours. But Lord, what you have for your people, what you want for your people, is to live into who they are your sons and your daughters, the fullness of the authority that you've given to them, Lord. Jesus, I commit them to you right now. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. If you have your communication card, could you just flip it over for me? Here's some next steps. The first is I'm committing my life to Jesus for the first time. If this is you, this is amazing news. This is the best news. And we celebrate with you. We actually have a table for you right outside those double doors called the newcomers, I mean, called the next table. And someone will be there. They'll be there to pray for you, to answer any of your questions, to walk with you. Please go there. The second is I will meet with a pastor or a trusted friend and share how I am feeling lost. If you are lost, please share. Please enter into community in that way. The third is I will pray for and meditate on trusting God and what that means for my life. What changes do you need to make? Are you entering into that calling? Are you stepping out in faith? Or are you just okay with being secure? The fourth is I will share what I feel like God is calling me to with someone I trust and receive advice from them. You know, a lot of times we have dreams and goals and convictions, but they don't really feel real until we say them. I want to challenge you to say them to someone this week. And the last is, I will read Acts 27, 27 to 44 in preparation for next week.